The Chinese government has limited kids' video game time to three hours per week and has banned effeminate male celebrities from television for fear that they aren't teaching young Chinese men how to properly be masculine. This is just the latest in a long series of alarming headlines out of Beijing since February. As the Chinese Communist Party has gotten more aggressive about regulating technology and markets, panicked U.S. investors have been fleeing large-cap Chinese tech stocks with Alibaba, Baidu, and Tencent all down 35 to 55% off their February peak. Is this a generational buying opportunity or an unacceptable risk? We'll break down the news and dig into the implications for U.S. investors. Hello and welcome back to the Wall Street Petting Zoo. I'm your co-host, Christopher Smith. And I'm your other, better co-host, Robert Coburn. It has been almost five months since we last recorded, and a lot has happened since our last episode. In U.S. markets, prices on the Dow Jones, NASDAQ, and S&P 500 indexes, as well as in the real estate market, have continued to march higher and higher and higher, even as economic data have weakened and surprised to the downside. Inflation has run hotter and faster than anyone expected, so investors are protecting themselves by exchanging their U.S. dollars for assets. The bull market is likely to continue for as long as Congress and the Federal Reserve continue their inflationary policies, which they are likely to do for as long as economic data stay weak. So this is one of those weird situations where bad news for the U.S. economy is actually good news for the U.S. stock market. With the U.S. stock market possibly overpriced, some U.S. investors are looking for opportunity in beaten-down Chinese technology stocks. The iShares China ETF is down nearly 30% since February, and China's largest technology stocks are down even more. Tencent is down about 36%, Alibaba 44%, and Baidu 53%. If you look at the price multiples of these companies, they are easily trading at a 35 to 55% discount to their American peers. But that doesn't necessarily mean these companies are a good buy for U.S. investors. There may be good reasons for these Chinese companies to trade at a discount. Let's look at how we got here, Robert. In my view, we've got to go back several years to the Donald Trump presidency, When the U.S. and China were locked in a trade war, and Trump was threatening to delist Chinese companies from U.S. stock exchanges. In fact, he actually did delist one company by executive order, China Mobile, because it had ties to the U.S. military. U.S.-based institutional investors were able to convert their shares of China Mobile to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, but individuals, retail investors who owned China Mobile shares were left with shares that they still to this day cannot sell because they don't have access to that Hong Kong stock exchange. What a lot of U.S. investors may not realize is that the threat to delist Chinese companies was not an empty threat, and the risk hasn't passed just because Donald Trump isn't president anymore. Last year, Congress passed the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act which requires foreign companies to adhere to U.S. auditing standards in order to trade on U.S. exchanges. The Chinese government is blocking Chinese companies from complying with that requirement. The enforcement process has been initiated, and Chinese companies have less than two years to comply before they will be delisted. That's over a trillion dollars worth of market cap that could become untradeable if some kind of compromise isn't reached. 
But don't bet on the Chinese government rushing to cut a deal to keep Chinese companies listed in the U.S. China, in fact, seems quite happy for its companies to leave American stock exchanges. Chinese regulators have been making it harder for firms to list on stock exchanges outside of China. For example, a rule change in late July made online tutoring firms ineligible for overseas listings, which caused U.S.-listed Chinese education stocks to absolutely tank. Plus, there's a risk that that government regulation will hurt Chinese companies' performance no matter what exchanges they're listed on. In November, Chinese billionaire Jack Ma, the founder of the tech giant Alibaba, suddenly disappeared. Ma has been criticizing the Chinese government, and apparently he crossed some red line that finally got him in trouble. This was right when he was about to IPO a new financial tech or fintech company called Ant Financial. China blocked the IPO and imposed a sweeping restructuring of Ant Group, curtailing its profitability and imposing a record antitrust fine. Since his disappearance, the Chinese billionaire has been cited only a few times. In fact, the sightings all have the feel of having been staged by the Chinese government. It's quite likely that Jack Ma is a prisoner of the Chinese government somewhere. There was another similar case in late June. The Chinese ride-sharing company DD Global had a very successful IPO in the United States in late June. This is a huge company. It's three to four times the size of Uber, so calling it the Chinese Uber actually does it a little bit of an injustice. Immediately after the IPO in early July, the Chinese government announced a crackdown on Didi for vague reasons related to antitrust laws and cybersecurity. The government ordered Didi to stop signing up new customers immediately, and it deleted 25 mobile apps owned by Didi from various app stores, and it imposed a large antitrust fine on the company. Didi issued a meek statement in response saying that the company would accept and obey the government's commands. And then there's this crazy video game ban. Chinese media watchdog, the National Press and Publication Administration, or the NPPA, announced in a statement that the new rules would only allow minors one hour of play between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. on Friday, weekends, and public holidays which is a smaller window than what was set in 2019 of three hours on weekends and 90 minutes on weekdays. The rules have been put into place as students go back into the classroom and are in line with the Communist Party message of going back to embracing Chinese culture or going back to their roots. Uh, On paper, this looks like a huge blow to the gaming industry in China, with some folks commenting that this will kill the esport industry in China completely. Uh, but without a proper mechanism to enforce these new rules, as a VPN can easily circumvent the regulations. I don't see this as a huge blow to the video game industry as a whole, but this would definitely put a damper on the esport industry in China as they would not be able to host any public events. Gaming companies like Tencent took a hit with the announcement. However, they are far from vulnerable as they have heavy investments in over two dozen gaming companies around the world, and that also goes without mentioning Tencent has their hands in other forms of media such as film, music, and television with stakes in Warner Media and Universal Music. And they also have non-media industry fields such as, you know, in utilities and the medical field. So I look at it, this regulation as a very minor impact in Tencent and will most likely use this as a buying opportunity. 
So is China an opportunity for U.S. investors or an unacceptable risk? Much as I, much as I love companies like Sentent, I do think it's really dangerous to buy shares of individual Chinese companies on a U.S. stock exchange due to the risk of delisting. You could easily get stuck holding shares that you might not be able to sell two years from now. For U.S. retail investors, it's probably safer to buy a China ETF because the institutions that manage ETFs are authorized to trade shares on Hong Kong and mainland China stock exchanges, whereas individual U.S. retail investors can't access those stock exchanges. So investing through an ETF mitigates the delisting risk. And delisting and government regulation aren't the only risks to China stocks. There is still a bit of a trade war going on. In July, the U.S. Senate blocked import of products from the Xinjiang region of China, where Uyghur Muslims are being used as forced labor. The U.S. and China have been rattling sabers over Taiwan, with a lot of analysts fearing that there is risk of war over Taiwan in the next couple years. China and India have also had some violent border clashes with a number of soldiers killed, raising risk of military conflict between those two countries. There's also risk of economic recession in China. Chinese economic indicators have been looking pretty negative lately, notably the China credit impulse, which in the past has been a pretty reliable leading indicator for the Chinese economy, is in deep negative territory. Given the size of the Chinese economy and the fact that China is a rising world power, it feels almost irresponsible not to have at least a little exposure to China through ETFs. But I wouldn't want to be overexposed to China personally. There is a lot of research showing that economic freedom causes economic growth and that excessive regulation inhibits economic growth. At the moment, China seems to be moving away from economic freedom and toward regulation and centralized control. That may not be healthy for China's economy in the long run, and it especially may not be healthy for corporate profits in China's private sector, and it especially, especially may not be healthy for U.S. investors' ability to get a cut of those corporate profits. If the Chinese government doesn't want U.S. investors involved in its markets, then it can stop us if it wants to. And so until they give us a green light, I think we invest there at our peril. Personally, I have been getting most of my exposure to emerging markets elsewhere in the world through the Freedom 100 Emerging Markets ETF. This is a freedom-weighted ETF that overweights countries with higher economic freedom scores and that excludes unfree countries like China. Well, that's all for the podcast this week. Thanks so much for listening, and please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. You can find the Wall Street Petting Zoo on all your favorite podcasting apps, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pandora. We don't do any advertising for the podcast, so we'd really appreciate it if you could like, comment, or share this episode on social media, or leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks so much for your support. See ya.